Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts. Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it is podcast number eight for those of you keeping score at home. And we are going to talk about the surveillance state. We are going to talk about Bilderberg Group, which is actually now talking about having a press conference, which is unprecedented, but I'm sure it'll be some kind of whitewash. And we're also going to get into why government health care is not your buddy. And I think at the very end of the show, I'm going to have a couple of my friends pop in and um, and just uh, give me some, uh, some tail gunners here at the end of the show, probably the last half hour. So the security state. What is the security state? What, what are we talking about here? Well, since the Telecommunications Act of 1996, in essence, um, companies had five years to comply with the new regulations – and they had to put what are called smart jacks into um, all of these ISPs. I used to work for an ISP. And a smart jack is what we used to use to remote in and help out um, our, um, our, you know, our, um, our customers whenever they would go down. So it was just a way to troubleshoot, which is what was sold to me. But then I started reading and researching it. And they actually have gear that's set there to record for the NSA. And the NSA is the National Security uh, Administration, and what their job is is to um, to catch the terrorists, for the most part. But the interesting part about the Telecommunications Act of 1996, and once everybody came into full compliance, it basically covers everything. It not only covers your ISP, so the things that you surf on the Internet, but it also covers your cell phone and any other devices that you have in your house. So everything is on the grid which is kind of amazing at one point and also kind of creepy in another. So what we're going to talk about today is just explore the creepiness of the surveillance state and what it really means and, and what we can do to kind of protect ourselves. Now, there's things that you can do to protect yourself in web browsing like Tor and other things where it can kind of mask your IP address. And for those of you that don't know, you can go to torproject.org. That's T-O-R project.org. And you can download their free browser there, and then it'll give you some anonymity on the web. But here's the way I look at it. I've been using Google and all these other search engines for the past, I don't know, since I've ever surfed the Internet. I was one of the only guys that I think ever used Lycos, if anybody remembers that. So I've been using the Internet for quite some time. And I'm sure the NSA has seen my profile change a little bit, but the, the fact of the matter is is that I've already got a buku of data out there, and it's really not going to do us a lot of good to withdraw right now. But what you do need to be aware of is moving forward, be aware of what you're searching and who you're searching for. And if you want to do anything that's kind of a little bit sketchy, I would recommend the tour. And I'm just saying that for those of you that want to go check out activist sites, or you know alternative media sites that might be monitored, I would highly recommend Tor for that. It is a lot slower, granted, but at least it gets you to the place that you want to go, 
and it's not going to leave your cookies everywhere for the NSA to pick up on them. So I wanted to start by just kind of expressing what I feel surveillance is going to do to not my generation, but the generation behind me. See, the generation behind me, and I'm talking about the people in your 25 to younger, if you're not fully awake yet to what's going on all around the world and all around you, you probably don't really care if the NSA reads what you wrote to your girlfriend in an email or you shot her a text because you believe that that doesn't apply to you. Now, the reason it doesn't apply to you is because you think that you have done nothing wrong, which in most cases is probably true. The bad part about that is that you don't get determined to determine whether you did something wrong or not. That is up to the government to decide whether the you have infringed on the state at all. So your perception and your determination of what you think is reasonable and what they think is reasonable might be two totally different things. And one thing to back up my argument was I had a um I had a I've got an article here from the National Journal, and it's talking about one of my favorite guys, and that's Lindsey Graham. Now, Lindsey Graham is the most paranoid white man on the planet that thinks that Muslims are in everybody's underwear. And lo and behold, on the picture of the actual article that I'm referencing, it's him and John McCain, the two biggest fear mongers I've ever seen in my life. Now, John McCain stuck his foot in his mouth a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about this on podcast number seven with uh, Andrew from Florida. He was actually pictured when he said that you could truly identify the terrorists. This is really not that difficult. We can identify who the terrorists are. And then it shows him in a picture with a bona fide terrorist in the background. So there's a lot of wordplay going on here. But here is the, the article, and this is, um, this is, I think, covered by the AP. I just want to see how long this is. And it's not very long. It's just a little, it's just a little blurb, so I'll read it to you. And it says, Lindsey Graham isn't sure if bloggers deserve First Amendment protection. Of course they do. But the question at hand is whether the media shield law should protect them as well. Now, this is talking about yours truly, that I'm an internet blogger and I run an internet podcast. So this is targeted right towards me. And um, Lindsey Graham is truly one of my favorite contributors to We Are Not Cattle because you always have something outlandish to say regarding a violation of our civil liberties and how it's just something that we should do in order to catch terrorists. So, and it goes on to, the article says, but whether bloggers count on journalists has, has mostly been a matter of esoterics or reporter types. But as Congress weighs the media shield in response to the Associated Press slash Justice Department subpoena scandal, the question is gaining urgency that lawmakers are finding it hard to ignore if they, if they turn to writing a bill. And it goes on to say, speaking to reporters on Tuesday, Lindsey Graham took on the issue and stumbled. He said, who, who, a, who a journalist is a question we need to ask ourselves. Any blogger out there saying anything, do they deserve First Amendment protection? Are these the issues of our times? Uh, yes, they are, because... Once again, the Constitution doesn't leave it up for interpretation, Lindsey Graham. It says you have freedom of speech. It doesn't say you have freedom of speech unless the government determines that your blog is anti-government and they can shut it down. Now, the verbal slip-up aside, of course, the bloggers are covered by the Bill of Rights, Lindsey Graham. 
Graham's riffing on the constitutional law exposes an age-old tensions between journalists as a product, between journalism as a product and journalism as an activity. That's a very good point. What Graham really meant to ask was whether bloggers deserve specific protections from the First Amendment that are granted to the press. And in fact, along with his colleagues Chuck Schumer, well, there's another great guy to align yourself with. Graham is an altered proponent of media shield law in the recent weeks. But as the line between blogger and journalist has blurred, which it completely has for the most part, far more relevant challenges in figuring out whether those protections apply to the behavior of finding and passing on something secret information, or if they just apply to those people that wear little plastic ID badges to prove their affiliation. In some ways, this episode really suggests that we might have the time to retire the word as an artifact, as an archetype of agafs. And it says, to be clear, and Lindsey Graham retweeted, to be clear, every blogger is entitled to constitutional freedom of speech. Yeah, of course. Now you're going to come back and say that. But that raises the question, am I a journalist? Are you a journalist? If you run a podcast, do you have the right to call yourself a journalist? What about the people that go out and cover events that don't have fancy badges or don't uh, tote around three or $4,000 cameras? What about a person that just runs around with an iPhone and films an event and then documents the event and then writes about it? That, to me, that's a journalist. And the credibility of the journalist shouldn't rely on the credibility of the publication that you're publishing for or the, the, big, you know, the big logo that's on the top of your webpage. It should come from how well and accurately you deliver the information with a little bit less slant. Now, of course, bloggers are going to have lots of slants, and I have a big slant. I am a pro-freedom activist. I'm not an anti-government activist. That drives me absolutely crazy. I'm a pro-freedom activist. Government is the opposite of freedom. So if I am pro-freedom, then obviously I'm anti-government. But anti-government has such a bad stigma to it, just like um, a modern-day interpretation of anarchism. Anarchism is that you don't believe that the state should be in charge of most anything, that you believe that there should be no government whatsoever, and that we have reached a point of of growth as a as a nation, as a culture, as humans, to be able to prove our own worth and not to have somebody in fancy uniforms and badges, police, no pun intended, police our lives. So that's where we're at today. Now, I would like to shift my attention to the Department of Homeland Security, which I talked about yesterday. They were contacted for a, um, a Hunley submarine, which hasn't been launched since the Civil War days, that was caught on um, in New York's interstate. Now, the funny thing about this is that you had one good little citizen slave spy call the authorities and say that they think that there's a potential terrorist on the road. And what did this potential terrorist have? He had an ancient submarine. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, everybody, we have to realize that terrorists are not under every table. That there are not Al-Qaeda cells in your rural area. There might be, but is that something that you should walk out your door and shake in fear over and hope that there's a policeman sitting on your corner? No. You have to progress with life. You are eight times more likely to get killed by a cop than you are to be killed by a terrorist. So think about that the next time you shake in fear of somebody wearing any kind of Arab.
superb because it's just outlandish that these things don't really happen. You're more likely to get killed in a plane crash by far than get killed by a terrorist. So let's continue now. Now that we have the Department of Homeland Security, let's talk about some of the procedures that the Department of Homeland Security has implemented over the last few years. Now, one of the things that I found fantastic was this article out of CBS DC, and it says the Department of Homeland Security says that laptops, phones can be searched based on hunches. So now not only do we give these $8 an hour McDonald's rejects that wear bright blue uniforms and enjoy you know, molesting people and molesting children, not only do we give them the authority, quote, the authority to, to go in our pants, but now they, the super intelligent beings that they are, watching screens all day, can just have a hunch. They can just have a hunch, and then they can actually start to go through your things. So let's see what the article says here. And it says, and I'm not going to read all of this. U.S. border agents should should continue to be allowed to search travelers' laptops, cell phones, and other electronics devices to and keep copies of the data on all of them based on no more than a hunch, according to the internal Homeland Security study. It contends limiting such searches that would prevent the U.S. from detecting uh, child pornographers or terrorists and exposing them to government lawsuits. And ex okay. They had a typo. The 23-page report obtained by the Associated Press and the American Civil Liberties Union under the Freedom of Information Act provides a rare glimpse of the Obama administration's thinking on a long-standing controversial practice of border patrol of border agents and immigration officers. Why are they officers? They're not officers. They're servants. They're never mind. Searching and in case of holding for weeks or months the digital device from anyone trying to enter the U.S. Let me read that to you again. The immigration officers searching and in some cases holding for weeks or months the digital devices of anyone entering, trying to enter the U.S. This is going to absolutely kill terrorism. Good job, guys. You are absolutely crushing this country. Way to go. Since his election, Barack Obama has taken an expansive view on legal authority in the name of national security, just like anybody has, anybody coming before him, asserting that he can order the deaths of U.S. citizens abroad who are suspects of terrorism without involvement of courts, investigative reports as criminals in a case, and read a copy of the contents of the computers carried out by U.S. travelers without good reason due to or reason to suspect wrongdoing. And it says. The DHS study, dated in December of 2011, said that border searches do not violate First or Fourth Amendments, which prohibit restrictions on speech and unreasonable search and seizures. It specifies a, a tougher standard in the 1986 government policy. Once again, these are not laws. These are all policies. Government policy allowing only a few uh, concerning – wait – Conversely, review of the traveler's documents. What is this? Oh, whatever. Okay. We do not believe that the 1986 approach or a reasonable suspicion of requirement of any form would improve current policy. Officers might hesitate to search an individual's device without the preference of an articulable factors capable of forming and of being formally defended, despite having an intruder or a, uh, an intrusion or a hunch based on the experience that has justified a search. And it added, 
an on-the-spot personal, uh, an on-the-spot personnel of electrical or purview of electrical devices following the procedures established in 1986 would well result in a delay of days or weeks. The Homeland Security report was prepared by the Office of Civil Liberties Rights and in Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. The U.S. government has always maintained that any person carrying across the border a backpack, a laptop, or a hidden in any body part is fair game to be searched in the any means of keeping drugs, child pornography, or other dangerous goods out of the country to enforce import laws. But as most Americans enter the United States with sophisticated computers, thumb drives, smartphones, cameras, and other electrical devices, and a vast amounts of information about who they are and and how they conduct business, privacy rights advocates are pressed more for the checks on these on such authority, particularly in digital files that are copied and shared with federal agents such as the FBI. According to this, according to the government study, oh, I just lost. The article. Sorry about that. We shall continue. According to the government study, 685 of the roughly 50 million travelers entered the U.S. in 19 or in 2009 to 2010 were subject to electronic device searches. Of those searched, 41 devices were held by the government. So 50 million, and we caught 41. So less than one tenth of a percent. Or right at one-tenth of a percent. Good job, guys. The ACLU and National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and other groups have sued over to stop the practice, saying it violates the First and Fourth Amendments. They're saying that the agents allowed to act on hunches encourages racial profiling, and it also encourages idiots to go look through your stuff. Some activists say that they are also worried about the FBI and other federal investigators using the laptops that's at the searches on the border to collect intelligence on terror and criminal suspects without judicial checks. Well, that's what it is. I mean, this administration is running on complete lawlessness anyway. Why not just grab all your data and, you know, have it scanned and then make you sit and then, well, we're just going to we're just going to keep your cell phone for about a month and we're just going to make sure all this data that you're not a you're not a supposed terrorist. So, skipping down in the article, by um, a person's um, digital life ought not to be hacked and is simply put, simply put by a crossing the border, said Judge Margaret Kuhn that wrote to the appeals court um, majority in March. By ruling involvement of Howard Cotto, the, the laptop contained hundreds of hidden child pornography files when he crossed the Mex- or Arizona-Mexico border in 2007. Only, only – <laughs> Only applies to the states within the appeals court jurisdiction, including Arizona, California, and Alaska. The ruling has left some confusion as to what constitutes a comprehensive search. And another case involving Islamic studies from student uh, Pascal Abar, whose laptop was detained for 11 days along the Canadian border and is still pending the in a federal district court in New York. So, is this really what you guys want? I mean, if if this is really what we want, this this, I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to absolutely be searched and and have my my laptop or my phone grabbed for eleven days, because as you see, what's going to happen is they're going to start this police state, which has already begun and it's a full rollout now. They're going to start just doing little things, and what I'm saying by little things is it'll always be it'll always seem reasonable. 
And this seems reasonable. You know, we can check your phone, we can check your laptop. But then again, does that seem really reasonable? In any other country, in any other free country, does this happen? No, it doesn't. Because the American public has been sold on the fact that the more liberties that you give up for your freedom, the safer that you're going to be. And with a dramatic display of terrorist attacks like the Boston bombing and like the uh, and like 9/11 and Waco, when you have these very vivid and very ex, you know extravagant displays of terrorism, of course government's going to come in and swoop and say that they're going to protect you. We're here to protect you. Look, we have costumes and we have shiny badges. We are here to protect you. And it's not really not that at all. You have to just wonder is, is it worth your is it worth your time? Is it worth your effort to catch that one terrorist? And if you believe it is, then I believe that you're the person that should be driving around in a foam car. Because once again, you are more likely like probably 20 times more likely to get killed by a car than a terrorist. But once again, remember, you are more likely, eight times more likely, to be killed by a cop than a terrorist. But none of us pee our pants when we see somebody get pulled over. It's just a, a normal response. You just see a cop and like, oh, okay, well, that's just – that's very nice. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about the NSA and what they've done. Now, the NSA, for those of you that don't know – has been currently constructing a spy base out in um, Utah. It's about a billion dollars, and they won't tell Congress what it's for. But they have dropped little hints that said that we'll be able to hold portions of data up to a year, or a hundred years, excuse me. And then after a hundred years, it kind of goes away. Now, if you were a conspiracy theorist like myself, then you would... Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Now, if you were a conspiracy theorist, you would be the person that would think that, wow, 100 years sounds about like a human life, and um, I don't really like you guys having all that data. Well, as we're about to hear, it doesn't really matter what we think, because guess what? They've already got your data, and they've had it for a long time. So here is a clip of um, William Benny being um, interviewed, and I kind of spliced the interview up. This is an interview he did on RT, and I will also um, I'll also overlay some video or at least give the hyperlink when I put this podcast up. Oh, and by the way, everybody, this is the first podcast that's being filmed. So take a look at the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV. Over the next couple of days, I should have it uploaded by then. I'm going to have to take the video and audio and splice it. So it should be a lot of fun and a big heartburn, but hopefully you guys will enjoy it. So here is the clip from William Benny. In light of the Petraeus slash Allen scandal, while the public is so focused on the details of their family drama, one may argue that the real scandal in this whole story is the power, the reach of the surveillance state. I mean, if we take General Allen, thousands of his personal emails have been sifted through private correspondence. I mean, it's not like any of those men was planning an attack on America. Uh, does it? Prove, does this scandal prove the notion that there is no such thing as privacy in a surveillance state? Uh, well, yes, that's what I've been basically saying for quite some time, is that the FBI has access to the data collected, which is basically the emails of virtually everybody in the country, uh, and they have a, the FBI has access to it. All the congressional members are on, on the surveillance, too. It's not, no one's excluded. They're all included. So, yes, this can happen to, uh, to anyone if they become a target for whatever reason. 
Um, if they are targeted by the government, the government can go in, or the FBI or uh, other agencies of the government can go into that database, pull all that data they've collected over them, on them over the years, and reanalyze it all. So retroactively analyze everything they've done over the last 10 years, at least. And it's not just about those who who could be planning, who could be a threat to to national security, but but also those who could be just. It's everybody. I thought the Naris device simply takes in the entire line, so it takes all the data. In fact, they advertise. The way they advertise, they <clears throat> they can process the lines at session rates, which means 10 gigabit lines. That's the Naris, uh, uh, not the STA 6400, but the, uh, I forget the name. There's another device that they have that does that, but it does it at 10, gigabit, 10 gigabits. That's why they're building Bluffdale because they have to have more storage because they can't figure out what's important. So they're just storing everything there. So all that email is going to be stored there for the future. Uh, but right now it's stored in different places around the country. Uh, but it is being collected and is uh, has ac and uh, FBI has access to it. You mean it's being it. collected in bulk without yes. even requesting yes. the, the <coughs> providers? And then what about Google, you know, releasing this, this biannual transparency report and saying that the government's demand for personal data is at an all-time high and for, for all of those requests in the U.S., Google says they complied with the government's demands 90% of the time. But they're still saying that they're making the request. It's not like it's all being funneled into, into that storage. What do you say to that? Uh, well, I, I would assume that that's just simply another source of the same data they're already collecting. <laughs> the problem is, if, if, the, if they think they're not doing anything that's wrong, uh, they don't get to define that. The central government does. They do, the central government defines what is right and wrong and whether or not they target you. So it's not up to the individual, to, even if they think they're doing something wrong. If their position on something is against what the administration has, then, then they could easily become a target. Tell me about the most outrageous thing that you came across during your work at the NSA. Uh, well, the, the violations of the Constitution and, and any number of laws that existed at the time. Uh, that, that, was the, that was the part that I could not uh, be associated with. That's why I left there. They were building social networks on uh, who, who is communicating and with whom inside this country so that your entire social network of everybody, of every U.S. citizen, was being compiled over time. So they're taking uh, from one company alone roughly uh, 320 million records a day. That's how over time that that's probably accumulated up to close to 20 trillion over the years. The original program that we put together to handle this, to be able to identify terrorists anywhere in the world uh, and, and uh, alert anyone that, that they were in, in under jeopardy, uh, would, have, would have been able to do that uh, by encrypting everybody's communications except those who were targets. So that, in, in essence, you would protect their identities and, uh, and the information about them until you could develop probable cause. And then once you showed probable cause, then you could uh, do a decrypt and target them. And we could do that and, and isolate those people uh, all along. That wasn't a problem at all. There was no difficulty in that. 
but it sounds very difficult and very complicated. Easier to take everything in and... No, it, it's, uh, it's easier to use the graphing techniques, if you will, of the relationships for the world to filter out data so you don't have to handle all that data. And it doesn't, it doesn't burden you with a lot more information to look at than you really want to look, than you really need to solve the problem. So do you think that the agency doesn't have the filters now? No. You have received the Callaway Award for yes. Civic <coughs> Courage. Uh, I congratulate you for that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, on the website, in the press release, it says it is awarded to those who stand up for constitutional rights and American values at great risk to their personal and professional lives. Under the code of spy ethics, I don't know if there is such a thing. I assume, well, not. Your former colleagues, um, they, they probably look upon you as a, as a traitor. How do you look back at them? Oh, that's pretty easy. They're violating the foundation of this entire country, of what, our entire foundation of what, how, why this entire government was formed, was founded with the Constitution and the rights given to the people in the country under that Constitution. They're in violation of that. And under Executive Order 13526, Section 1.7, Governing Classification, you cannot classify information that just to cover up a crime, which this is. And that was signed by President Obama. Also, President Bush signed an earlier executive order, a very similar one. If any of this comes into the Supreme Court and they rule it unconstitutional, then the entire house of cards of the government falls. What are the chances of that? What are the odds? Well, the government's doing the best they can to try to keep it out of court. And, of course, we're trying to do the best we can to get into court. <laughs> so we just thought it, it deserves a, a, a ruling from the Supreme Court, ultimately. The court is supposed to protect the Constitution. All these, all these people in government take an oath to defend the Constitution, and they're not living up to their oath of office. No, they are not. And uh, I think that I had my uh, my mic on mute, so I apologize for any of you listening live. You didn't drop off. I just didn't unmute my mic. But anyway, that's really powerful stuff. I mean, the guy wins an award for being a whistleblower, you know, standing up with outrageous courage against against the government, and then and now the American public we're still just kind of doing nothing, and we're kind of going along, and it's just. It's really kind of creepy. Like, I was watching, um, and I think these are very good, but um, I don't necessarily subscribe that Southern California is the is the baseline of the American knowledge base. But I was watching a lot of Mark Dice videos before I got on the air tonight and watching him go in and trying to sell somebody a gold coin, a silver ounce of gold. And he was trying to sell it to him, and they wouldn't buy it. They would not buy an ounce of gold for $25, and he, he even made it so easy that he was standing right outside a, um, a jewelry store, and he's like, listen, I'll sell you this ounce. I'm just trying to pay my cell phone bill. I got an ounce of gold here. I'll sell it to you for, for – it's, it's worth – you know, it's a, it's a $50 piece from Canada, and I'll sell it to you for 25 bucks. I just need some cash to pay my cell phone bill, and nobody took the money. Only one girl asked him how much it was worth. Only one girl out of like 15. Now, once again, I don't think that California, Southern California, is the baseline for our collective consciousness. But if that's any indication of what we're facing, we are in a lot of trouble. 
So speaking of being in a lot of trouble, let's talk about the Bilderberg Group. Woohoo! Remember the group that doesn't exist five years ago? They, you know, they denied their existence. Remember Alex Jones was ridiculed and criticized and said that he was imagining a a, um, a secret meeting going on and he was out in the woods and all this other crap when he was the one that told the press that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were at Bilderberg trying to figure out who was going to be the next president or who they wanted to step down or what have you. So now all this stuff is starting to come out and we're starting to get a really interesting response. So this is um, this is a Charlie Skelton's Bilderberg and he wrote another article today and it says, relax. Thanks to Goldman Sachs and the other donors, this year's conference will be will be cost neutral for Hedgeford, Hedgefire despite the construction of the Great Wall of Watford. And so what the big to do was was you were having all of the elites of the world, 150 of the most important people that you could possibly imagine coming together, getting together and talking about stuff. Do we know what the stuff is? Nah, they're just talking about stuff. Okay? So it, as it goes on, they start to get more and more and more publicity. And it's really blowing their cover, and they're not liking this. So now they're even talking about a press conference, and I'll get to that here in a little bit. But here's, a, like I said, here's a Charlie Skelton article from The Guardian. And Charlie Skelton's been covering these guys for a while. He covered them last year. So it's always interesting to read his stuff. The auditorium grew hush as, as a senior Watford borough counselor took to his feet. The police liaison team looked nervous. They had made the presentation and laid out their plans for this quote-unquote unique event. The anti-terrorism zones and identification checks and the restriction on vehicles stopping in the vicinity of this important international conference. But now it has turned into the people of Watford. It is the turn of people of Watford to speak. What would they make of this international three-day policy summit? With a heavyweight delegate list bulgering with billionaire financiers, party leaders, and media mongols protected by the biggest security operation Wadford has ever seen. What does this whole thing boil down to, boomed the chancellor? Is it – is this – are you or are you not setting a precedent for vehicles parking on the verge of the old Hampshire Road? Thus began an hour-long, hour – and a half-long question mark discussion about whether or not cars and other press vehicles should be allowed to park on the strip of grass that runs parallel to I-41 just opposite the Grove Hotel. It was like a weird dystopia episode of keeping up appearances. Never mind that our ministers are meeting in secret with heads of heads of Shell, BP, Amazon, and Google. <laughs> what about the Verge? It says, there is an audio gasp then. Under tense questioning, Chief Inspector Rhodes, who was forced to admit citing a quote-unquote bylaw, air quotes, bylaw, that there are no parking signals on the verge that were actually fraudulent. No such law existed. One lady, almost beside herself, gestured to the audience, there are media here. This story is going to get out. The Verge would never have said the same thing again, thanks to Bilderberg. And it says, and it keeps going. It says, the audience was an old mix. Half were residents and around the, around the venue, other worried about the possibility of a 
try damage to the lawn strip. And the other half were journalists from around the world worried about the geopolitical impacts of the conference at which BAE, uh, Stratford, and General Petraeus were all discussing Africa's challenges. You mean how we're going to get those freaking resources from those guys without them knowing it? That's going to be my guess. Hey, we had to go after Joseph Coney. Why do we have to go after Coney again? What are we? What's in Uganda? Oh, it's just one of the largest crude oil deposits that has been found in Africa. Just a little coincidence. I'm sure that was just a just a, a little bonus. It was just a bonus. Both halves were worried about the the funding of the galactic security operation or gigantic security operation. Might as well be galactic. I think they got G4S there. So. I mean, you might as well have the the Empire's you know army over there, and it says the police assured skeptical residents that the conference would be cost neutral or cost neutral for Hertfordshire, thanks to a part of a quote unquote donation from conference organizers. A donation. This donation will have to come in part, at least, from the Bilderberg Association, a registered UK charity that donates from <laughs> that takes donations. From BP and Goldman Sachs. Wow. This sounds like... I mean, this is another big government hug right here. We're just full of government hugs tonight. This is awesome. So it says, So in a sense, the Hearts Police are doing the charity work for Goldman Sachs, which we must be com- <clears throat> which must comfort the execs from Goldman Sachs attending the conference, the vice chairman and the director of the chairman of Goldman Sachs International. They've got their charity team out patrolling and keeping their lenses at bay. Keeping the lenses at bay. Excuse me. Oh my gosh, they got a picture of the wall. This looks r- ridiculous. Okay, so at the point of the meeting, during the tense exchange, and um, let's see, during the tense exchange about the con, con- contigue. Oh my gosh, contingency of planning for dog walkers. Uh, contingency. It's a little bit of a faux pas there by me. Contingency plans for dog walkers. Rhodes let it slip that Operation Discuss, the codename for the Bilderberg Group operation, had been up and running for 18 months, and residents and journalists shared an intake of the deep breath. 18 months? The reason for all this security? You guessed it, everybody. What is the magic key that all of these elite douchebags use? Terrorism. Okay, and it continues. After 59 years of Bilderberg guests... Scuttling about the shadows, ducking lenses, and dodging the news. It is, it's the um, it's the rationale that we're given now. This rationale, presumably behind the Great Wall of Wadford, is a concrete and wired security fence encircling the hotel. As ugly as it is necessary, as ugly as it is unnecessary, it looks like the kind of thing you would throw against the in a stag before you began to machine gun. You began machine gun from the witch tower, watchtower, excuse me. Appropriately fantastic, you might say that if you regard for the fascism as the meager corporate and governing power, as Mussolini put it, this is your example. 
It says the same threat of quote-unquote terrorism was used to justify the no pedestrian and no stopping zones near the venue. This is absolutely ridiculous. This is worse than the G the G20. At least the G20, we know who's going to be there. We know it's going to be the top 20 countries around the world, and they just block the city off and then make you have your, your protest in the free speech zone, which is like four blocks away from the actual event, so you can't even you know get your point across. But anyway, moving on. So the same... Okay, no, 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 no. The police laid out their logic, and they said that there was no specific intelligence regarding the terror threat, which is, once again, what they do. However, in recent incidents, such as Boston and Woolwick, there have been no intelligence prior to that attack. So there's your spin. It's like, well, we didn't know about Boston, and we didn't know about 9-11, even though we ran drills the exact same day at the exact same time about the exact same situation. Never mind that. We could have never, never thought of that. Mm-mm. Nobody would ever thought of that. Therefore, the lack of any threat and any terror attack fits exact profile of a terror attack. The lack of a threat is a threat. Welcome to 1984. No kidding. We've been there for quite some time. Rhodes admitted that the anti-terrorism zones were flexible and that the residents should be allowed to pass through them into their homes. Oh, good for the little slaves getting to go to their houses. Good for them. But their value for security, he said was that if the people were gathered in these zones who did not live locally, they can easily be moved on. Not because they were terrorists, but simply because they were gathering. That's the great thing about the threat of terrorism. It's it's no it's it's so indefinitely acceptable. Uh, in, infinitely acceptable. Having a tough time reading this stuff tonight. That said, the police liaison team has have been amazing, and at this year they have marked and turned turned the point for Bilderberg. Under pressure from journalists, and thanks to a large part to the Hertz um, Constabulary Liaison Team, a press zone has been set aside within the hotel grounds. Oh, look out! The press was kept up, and was and it was met with early release of the delegate list, rushed out by the conference organizers with such a speed that they forgot to change the date and the date at the top of the webpage from 2009 to 2013. But the biggest news of all was from the foot of the page, two words, media contact. Interesting. Welcome to Build- welcome Bilderberg to the world. Suddenly, miraculously, we had an, in, entered a brave new world of normality. normality. An international policy summit attended by the head of the IMF, the president and vice president of the European Commission, the prime minister of Holland, a dozen other ministers, any number of transnational CEOs and banking bosses, the chairman of the Swiss and and Dutch banks, and our own chancellor and his – I don't even know what that's called – chancellor of the Eckler and – was entering the normal working relationship with the press. That was amazing. That This is historic. And then a few hours later, the media contact email ex- address simply vanished from the website. Like, <laughs> like, a, like a various fawn, the Bilderberg had its nose in the way out of the hedge, sniffed the air, sensed the danger, and jittered back into the thicket. Still, it is... 
it is a courageous first step and certainly at the and certainly not the last. There are rumors from a few delegates that are fed up, understandably, with all the security and want to shift to a more transparent way of doing business. Oh my god, there's an idea. You know, you guys wouldn't have all these conspiracy theories and stuff like that out there if you just told us what you were talking about. It's like you think that we're retarded. Hey, we're getting a bunch of the most powerful people in the world together for four days and Man, we just gonna kick it. I mean, that's what you guys do. The I mean, if they would have come, listen, if you would have come out as the Bilderberg, Pre- I should have been the Bilderberg press engineer. If I would have just come out and said, "Listen, these guys have been working hard, bro. We've been working hard. You know what I'm saying?" And they, dude, they just want to come here for four days and just kick it. And then the sheep would have just left them alone. But oh no, you got to be all secret, secret about everything. And then all of a sudden, everybody's starting to find out, and you're sitting there stepping on each other's you-know-what, trying to get your story straight. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, well, we might just have a press conference. And here leads me to the next the next article, and this comes from Infowars.com. So, once again, take it for what it's worth. Insider Bilderberg considering a press conference. And this is by Paul Joseph Watson, and this was written today. And it doesn't seem like it's very long, so I shouldn't be able to butcher this one too bad. And I'm going to have my friends jumping on here in about 15 minutes, so i got a couple articles to get to before they get on here. So it says, a source close to the security operation of the, for the 2013 Bilderberg Group Conference was told, told InfoWars that the numerous members of the secret organization have been aggravated at the way that it is being operated with a scat regard for transparency and are lobbying for the Bilderberg Steering Committee members to allow them to address the protesters this week, which should be interesting. The Bilderberg Group is a confab of around 140 of the world's power brokers from spheres of banking, business, government, academia. And this year's meeting in Wadford, England of June 6th through the 9th. The group notoriously loathes the attention of any kind, which makes the development of this all the more groundbreaking. The source made it clear to us that the number of Bilderberg members, presumably the newer and younger attendees, are unhappy with the way that the group is conducted in activities with total contempt for the democratic process, which has been resulted in an increasing number of protesters being drawn to this event each year. Campaigners set, set to congregate within the grounds of the Grove, the five-star luxury hotel at which Bilderberg will, will see are preparing to speak from a platform that they will invite Bilderberg members to address the demonstrators and the press. If a member or representative from the Bilderberg group does not does speak publicly about the organization, it will be an unprecedented move. However, any expecting the group to admit that the is allowing it is a shadow government manipulating world affairs behind closed doors is probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, they'll just come out and do a supreme whitewash of this thing, and and then they'll just say, "Go back to sleep. Everything's fine. You know, we told you what we're doing. What about the last, you know, forty-five years of you guys doing this stuff? Nah, don't worry about it. That's all in the past. You're in good hands now. Listen, government always tells you the truth, especially if it's about a super secret meeting. <laughs> you know that you're going to get the truth about this." How long has this thing been secret? Oh, about 60 years? Nah, they're going to tell us the truth now. They got to. I mean, we figured it out. So it says, while the source did not mention any names of specific individuals who are expressed in this view, it is reasonable to speculate it's coming from the so-called libertarian camp within the group headed by PayPal's founder and hedge fund manager Peter Thiel. 
who again is in attendance this year. And that would be my bet too. Another interesting detail to emerge from the source whom we spoke with InfoWars and the fact that the preparations for the Bilderberg Conference in Rockford have been going on for a staggering 18 months. Yeah, we just talked about that. This underscores the reality that Bilderberg is a major confab of power and influence and is not merely a casual talking workshop or golf holiday for the elite. It is much more than a mainstream media still spills it, uh, which is how much of the mainstream media spills it out. In the 2013 Bilderberg Group meeting has already received a, a, a deluge of media coverage from those that even if, and it hasn't even officially begun. A sign of public pressure is forcing the clandestine cabal to lift its veil of secrecy and become more open. However, such a process has inevitably been the means that the Bilderberg Group members were merely to shift the into a newly emerging power network so the Bilderberg's new influence will begin to wane. Although this will go on down as a major victory for those who have spent years attempting to infiltrate the group's bubbly security, editors and, and although although this will go down as a major victory for those who have attempted to deflate the group's bubble of secrecy. So there's that article for you guys. Now, like I said, you know I don't really have a problem with people meeting in secret. I mean, because there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to go through that you're going to want to have some privacy on. So here, here is what I got to say about Bilderberg. It was founded, they say, it was founded to, um, to bring, um, it was founded to bring balance before the Cold War. After World War II ended, they said that they got together and they were like, listen, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. It's, um, it's really kind of funny that they always use an excuse like that. It's like, oh, we just did this to, you know, we just did this to stop war. That's what it's about. We just really, we're just trying to stop war with these people. And it's always like Henry Kissinger and all these other guys that are, if anybody wants to stop war, it is definitely not Henry Kissinger. So I don't know what planet these people are on that they think they're going to pull this over on people that actually think rationally. But it's like you see Henry Kissinger there. You see all these other high-level military guys there from the military-industrial complex. And I'm sure they're not talking about invading anybody. I'm positive they're not talking about it. And then they're probably going to give each other like four peace prizes in, in, the, in between depending on what their body counts are. It's just absolutely sick. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself – now the mainstream media will tell you that you're a um, that you're a conspiracy theorist. So let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Now I don't think that you're a conspiracy theorist. I think that you just have questions, just like anybody else would. Why wouldn't you question something like this? Why wouldn't you question 150 of the most popular people in the world? Excuse me, the most powerful people in the world meeting in secret, not divulging anything that they're talking about, and then trying to keep it so hush hush that they don't even tell the attendees where the event's going to be until weeks before the event. I mean, you don't go through that kind of trouble just to have a golf outing or go shoot pool with somebody or have tea. I don't know what these people do together, but it sure as hell is not just you know puppy dogs and ice cream. I promise you that. So at the end of the day, folks, just ask yourself the question. Who benefits from this? What, and ask them why. Why is it secret? I mean what what's the big deal? Now, I know that it's been leaked that they were talking about global government and stuff like that. And do I believe that global government is on our horizon? Absolutely. 
do I believe that a good form of global government is on our horizon? Not in the least. I think personally that we might be headed towards a a cla- it's almost like a gigantic form of fascism that would be government and corporations pretty much owning the entire world. And then they would merge into the world government. And that's what your world government will be. That's why you see people like Google and Amazon and all these big power brokers because those are the people that have the power to do it. You and I don't have the power to make a world government. If I had the power to make a world government, there is no way I would do that. Absolutely not. I don't believe in big government. And a huge and a and a giant world government, forget about it. That would just be that would be that would be hell on earth to me. But anyway, I digress. I actually missed a clip that I wanted to play a little bit earlier about the um about the uh, the police state. I've actually got a couple of them here. One of them I played before for you guys, but this is what um this is what the TSA and this this should come right after the TSA when we talked about how they want to search everything. But here is the clip, and when I first saw this, I had to play it on the podcast. So enjoy this clip. It's a little bit it's a little bit lengthy. It's about five minutes long, but it's about taser bracelets. And if you guys have heard me on the um if you guys heard me on the journalistic revolution podcast. I talked about this specifically and the fact that they sell you that it's something great. And listen, if you guys want to look back, I did a show, podcast number five, I believe it was, talking about how you get manipulated on a day-to-day basis. You don't even realize it. Shoot, it happens to me, and I was a marketing major. So what it talks about is that – and listen for the key term where he said, we think that most people would agree. And that is basically speaking to your psyche of being part of the being part of the collective. And it's well, most people would agree to it. So am I most people or am I not? And most people do want to be followers and follow the herd because if you keep your head down and follow the herd, you typically stay out of trouble. But like we talked about before, just because you don't think you have anything to hide doesn't mean that the state doesn't think you have anything to hide. So here's the clip. Enjoy. Both the traveling public and the airport security community were shocked by the ease of which the 9-11 terrorist hijackers were able to pass through the numerous high-tech security checkpoints in airports in both Boston and Washington in order to carry out their horrific plans. Since 9-11, the pressure from government agencies and the public to seriously upgrade security at all airport checkpoints in both Canada and the United States has been intense. Airports have responded by spending billions of dollars to beef up pre-boarding security measures. One of the new security technologies being introduced at airports is a face recognition system called biometrics. Cameras capture images of people that are then compared to digital photos of known and suspected terrorists stored in a computer database. However, aviation experts are quick to point out that biometric systems that analyze physical characteristics like face, iris, or fingerprints take too much time and would increase the number of flight delays and cancellations. Also, biometric systems only work if the person is already a known terrorist with information and a photo on file. The Transportation Security Administration has also invested heavily in explosive detection machines. Over 1,100 of these devices have been set up in 400 airports across the U.S. 
at a cost of $350,000 each. Again, experts are quick to point out that even the most advanced bomb detection device would not have stopped the terrorists on September the 11th. They essentially used the aircraft as bombs. The painful reality is that regardless of how sophisticated the technology is, the technology is only as good as the people using it. Employees working at minimum wage seldom have the police training and certification necessary to be 100% effective. Once terrorists are on board an aircraft, the pilot and the crew are left to face the militants alone. They are the last line of defense. This is not reassuring. Terrorists are well trained, religiously motivated, and already committed to suicide in order to complete their mission. Some flights may have an armed air marshal on board to deter hijackers. The image of an air marshal opening fire in the close confines of an aircraft is not a good one. The chances of inadvertently puncturing an airline wall or hitting an innocent passenger are extremely high. Reinforced cockpit doors should be installed on all planes by sometime in 2003, but they will still be vulnerable to any determined terrorist with plastic explosives. Is there a solution to deterring hijackers once they are on the aircraft? Yes, there is a very viable, workable answer. It starts here, when passengers are issued their tickets. At that time, they can also be fitted with a special electronic ID bracelet that they will wear until they disembark the flight at their destination. These electronic coded bracelets will make traveling much more convenient for the public. It will replace the need to carry a ticket by containing all pertinent passenger information. In addition, the bracelet could permit tracking of the passenger through the terminal, including carry-on luggage. Checked luggage can be coded to match the bracelet to ensure no tampering or diversions. By further equipping each bracelet with EMD technology, the bracelets will allow crew members using radio frequency transmitters to quickly and effectively subdue hijackers. The electromuscular disruption signal overrides the attacker's central nervous system and will render even the most elite and aggressive terrorist completely immobile for several minutes. This will allow the crew to subdue and handcuff that individual. EMD technology is designed to incapacitate a target from a safe distance without causing permanent injury, which means these criminals will survive and go to trial. The bracelet would only be armed by someone on board upon confirmation that a takeover situation exists. To a businessman on his way home to be reunited with his family, or to a young family going south for a winter holiday, wearing an EMD safety bracelet for a few hours during a flight is a small inconvenience to ensure their safe arrival. Here it comes. We feel if given the choice between taking a flight employing the added security of the EMD safety bracelet system and taking a flight without the additional security, many, if not most, passengers would happily opt for the extra security of the EMD safety bracelet. Oh, yeah. We believe that many, if not most, now, I do have on the line with me um, Robert from the Journalistic Revolution. Thanks for popping in, man. You there? Yes, I am, sir. How you doing? Hey, are you ready for your EMD bracelet, man? I, I, I've been ready. I, I, I feel like uh, it's a good sacrifice for my security. 
Absolutely. I mean, you give up those liberties for security. The only thing you get is pure security, right? Yeah, straight up. I mean, you know, I feel safer, and that's really what matters. <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And I, I really, I really love how every time they sell tyranny, it's always like, you know, this is this is we think, we believe, and we say, and we feel, and everybody's like, yes, that. That seems reasonable because they've been conditioned to kind of keep their head down and just keep moving along, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Mhm. So I've actually spent the uh, I spent the majority of the uh, the first hour talking about the surveillance state and um, talking about the um, I had this article that talked about how now Homeland Security doesn't need any excuse; they can just go on a hunch and go through your computer and your cell phone and grab any of this stuff. And they say that that's perfectly reasonable. What do you say? Uh, I disagree. We're actually going to be covering this later. Um, oh, you cool. know, it, it 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 it's just another example of the Bush era violations of uh, privacies. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and and Obama just kind of expanding on that. And, it, and in reality, you know, I, I was just saying, thinking this the other day. We can't really blame Bush or Obama. They were just you know, up there shaking their head yes and smiling pretty. I mean, it's the, mm -hmm. it's the State Department, it's the DOD. Those people are the ones who keep wanting to violate our privacy rights. Oh, of course. And those are the ones that – those. and I, I really wish that people could get past the political football of this um, – the president can do all these things. Because the one thing that re really used to drive me crazy is like, well, everybody's mad at Obama because of the economy. I'm like, dude – I mean, he cannot create jobs. They can't. What are they, What are they going to do? The only thing that they could do is help. And but, but we have been conditioned, and you start to see it. I start to see it in the public, at least. And let me know your thoughts. Do you start to see the public almost like wanting? And I know this is going to get on a pretty good tangent, but do you see the public like almost like wanting a dictator or wanting some central point of control that they can look at and say, there's our leader, that's our guy right there. I mean, the president is to an extent, but you and I both know he doesn't have near as much power as they like to think that he has. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, philosophically I tend to agree with uh, Adam Kokesh. On the, evo on the evolutionary chain, mm -hmm. when we became distinctly human and it was no longer who could pick up the biggest rock and it became who can organize a hunting party better or mm -hmm. who can organize the crops and tell the seasons better when intelligence mm -hmm. became our defining um you know um in agriculture and and grouping now uh, it's now it's who's got the the most fake fiat money and who drives the <laughs> and who has the the most um the most trinkets we well, all race for the trinkets I don't think we've evolved past it yet, and that's why statism and this idea that we need someone in control or leading us is still very prevalent in the in the masses, and it's because wow, you're, hold on one second, hold on, you're you're really feeding back here. Try it again. Oh, okay. Can can you hear me now? Uh, you're you're still feeding back here. Um, you you're on Skype, right? Call me back right back on Skype, and we'll see if we can pull you up. But your feedback right. is really bad. Yeah. No. All right. So I had to kill that, but you know. It becomes one of those conundrums, you know. Are we are we really capable of governing ourselves and policing ourselves as as free individuals, as humans? Now, me personally, I think that that we're perfectly capable of governing ourselves. You know, most people break anywhere from 
two to I think it's two to four felonies. They commit two to four felonies a day, but they don't know it. And you don't see people running around like freaking out because they're committing felonies. No, it's just you know, it's just common law crap that they're going through. Excuse me, it's um, color of law crap. Let's see if this audio is better. Um, do I got you now? Uh, how do I sound now? Oh, much better. Oh my gosh, you must have um, you must not have said something the NSA liked because you started getting scrambled really bad. So um, so go ahead and continue. You 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 and I are kind of following along the same philosophical lines in the fact that we're 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 all adults here. We we have the capability of governing ourselves, and you say that it's due to our innovation as a species. So continue. Yeah, that um, you know, and that the problem with the masses is that. They, they haven't evolved past that part of uh, the human evolution. They haven't evolved past the fact that they're looking for someone to show them how to hunt or plant food or whatever it is. You know. Now, here's a uh, question for you, another philosophical question. Is that due to the way that they're conditioned by the state or is that due to the capacity they have? Well, as much as I'd love to blame everything on this state, I think it's really a good equal measure of both. I think it's the state exploiting the fact that people haven't evolved past that, and I think it's because people have become complacent in that fact, which can also some blame of that can go can be put on the state too because of you know honey boo boo and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. You know? <laughs> but but that but doesn't that re- that eventually becomes the responsibility of of the society and and to to reject things like that. But what happens is you have Smart, super smart people like you – know, not like myself, but smart people that that want to make money, and the only thing that they're doing is saying, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to – we know that this is going to sell. God knows it's going to destroy society, but we're going to be able to sell advertising. We're going to be able to sell you know, spots. We're going to be able to, to, um, to raise our ratings. So let's do it. And that's why you're seeing all these stupid shows come out like like um uh what is it? Something maids. It's like devious maids or some crap like that. And everything's about cheating and stealing and robbing and how glorious it is. And I see it as our culture is slowly starting to degrade. Now what do you think? What do you say to that? Do you think that that it's our job as a collective conscience? To say, hey, we need to start rejecting this stuff, or we're, this is going to bleed over into real life. I think history proves that that's a fact. That um, are you it, talking it, about? Are you, are you talking about like the days of um, like Martin Luther, those types of days? Well, yeah, it, but just not specifically those types of days. I mean, anytime mm-hmm. there was a major revolution in history, from the Renaissance to the American mm-hmm. Revolution to the Civil Rights, it, mm-hmm. it, it was civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and, and the the unwillingness to accept the status quo anymore that caused these great jumps in political evolution, if you will, of getting mm-hmm. closer to freedom. Now, do you think that we're on the verge of a of a um, of a new renaissance here uh, around the world, or do you think that do you think that it's being stonewalled by by those that that are reaping the benefits of of commanding and controlling the masses? Both. I think that it's being stonewalled, but unfortunately, they can't. Um, they, they, there was too many factors that they didn't account for. The internet being one. I mean, honestly, you know, when when this new world order, if you were, was thought up back in the you know 1700s, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, they couldn't account for the internet or Facebook or mm-hmm. uh, YouTube. So I think that the information exchange is what the the one thing that we can really say we have the upper hand in. Now, do you think that that's the reason that that Congress and all these other bodies are moving so rapidly to give the United States and other nations like Chinese style censorship with CISPA? And um, I read an article last night about how they're trying to slide SOPA in to the um, to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Have you heard about that? No. Yeah, they're what? trying to they're trying to sneak like some SOPA internet um, internet privacy laws into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which Obama is negotiating by himself. I read this. I'll have to pull this article up and send it to you so you guys can cover it. But he's um, he's basically doing all the negotiations by himself. And not letting Congress see the minutes of the meetings, not letting people sit in on the meetings and talk about the discussion that's going on. And then he's got the small arms trade treaty coming up at the end of this month or beginning of next month. And and, and it's you know, that's overwhelming gun control. So I'm seeing I'm seeing the establishment kind of kind of get real close and just get real hush hush about what they're doing especially you know somebody that's that's a puppet like Obama that's going to do everything that he's told I'm and this is really kind of creeping me out because not only do you have something like that going on but then you have the persecution of journalists the persecution of whistleblowers when those people should be cheered like Bradley Manning should be cheered and revered here in America he's on trial for you know violating is he the one that's on trial for violating the espionage act is that what they're getting him for yeah, some some form of treason. See, that's the. I mean, where did this country go wrong? I mean, where did we become just a group of suckers? Oh, and by the way, Robert, you are on the first um, videotaped podcast. So, oh. thanks for thanks for coming on and making it um, making it a little bit exciting. I was I was running out of material and I was really getting tired of reading news articles to my audience. So, thanks for coming <laughs> on and giving me a little bit of a diverse conversation here. Yeah, no problem. No, so now, what are your thoughts on Bilderberg? Bilderberg's going on this week. I've already given the folks my thoughts. What are your, what's your take on on the 140 most powerful people in the world meeting in secret to talk about nothing? I think that the the fact that these Bilderberg groups happen without any um, quote unquote terrorist activities taking place show mm-hmm. that terrorism actually isn't that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. But did you know that that's why they're erecting all these um, these big fortresses of solitude out there, like Superman's going to come in? They've got these huge, um, huge fences and stuff like that that they're erecting to keep all the quote-unquote terrorists out because that's what they're saying. It's like, well – and then people were like, well, there's never been a terrorist attack on Bilderberg. And they're like, well, we never saw you know, it coming with Boston, and we never saw it coming with 9-11. And you know, that's what terrorists do. They just attack, and so we got to be ready. So everything is fear, panic, paranoia, and, um, and sprinkle a little bit of Islam on top of there. And I think that we've got the, um, <laughs> I think that we've got the recipe for how they're going to just black out everything. Well, I, mean, I, love, so, yeah. I love the hypocrisy sometimes with the talking heads, how like – when it's them getting attacked, right? They're all like, "Oh, it could be at any moment. They're terrorists are everywhere behind everything. We'll never expect it." Nine eleven, nine eleven, nine eleven. But then when you're all like, "Hey, what are you guys doing back there behind closed doors?" What? Nothing. Oh, we got your best interest in heart. It's cool. No, 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 no. See, everything's fine. Look, look. I mean, we're just and and it's like I um, I, I was talking to the audience a little bit before, and I was just saying, you know, 
It's 150 of the most powerful people in the world carving out four days out of their schedule, and they're not going to go sit there and talk about who's got the best chicken recipe and you know how do how do I how do I shave five strokes off my you know off my handicap. That's not what these guys talk about. These are the most powerful people in the world that cleared their schedule for four days, and they're going to go talk about world issues. And I like how they say that we need to talk about how we're going to. It was um, – here, I'll pull up the article. One of the main talking points was uh, how they were going to um, save Africa. What are they going to do about Africa? And I said that that's code word for it. How in the hell are we going to rape that nation get all those minerals from them without them knowing it and out the rest of the world knowing what the heck we're doing? Because Petraeus and all those guys are there. Henry Kissinger's there, Petraeus. You know, Henry Kissinger, he never talks about war he never, you know, never talks about divide and conquer. You know, the unlawful we do right away. The unconstitutional will have to wait. Those types of things. I mean, he's just a good dude. Doesn't he look like a good dude when you see him? <laughs> yeah, no, he looks amazing. I'm turned on. He he actually looks like a cross between Mr. Magoo and like a slug. I think, but it's like Mr. Magoo meets Jabba the Hutt or the Goblin King from the Ooh, the new Lord like- of the Rings. I like the Java their Java the Hut reference. It fits. <laughs> it does kind of fit. Well, hey, let's um so I didn't even let you finish. So you said that you know, all these guys are getting together and, and they're meeting in secret. They're discussing mm-hmm. you and I wouldn't both know what they're discussing. But they at least have you, a good a good idea. <laughs> yeah, so would it make it easier on the public if they just came out and said, Listen, we're getting set up for world government. Unless you guys all go along with it, we're going to destroy the economy, which we're planning on doing anyway. So you guys just get on board with this. Otherwise, it's just going to get really nasty. I mean they're talking about having a press conference, and they're saying that there's some some younger factions in there that are wanting to be a little bit more transparent. But I just don't see that happening with the old guard there. I don't see that. Do you? I do, but with the old guard still there, it would be very choreographed. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I it's going to be just them. a complete whitewash, right? Yeah, exactly. They could come out and, like you said, using words like "how can we save Africa?" You know, they'll come out and talk about how they're going to inject funds into the American economy. To you know what I mean? They'll they'll, they'll make it sound like it's great and wonderful stuff, mm-hmm. and we should just let them be and let them do it. Yeah. But and it, the article that I covered yesterday on the podcast was talking about how it's going to be. The head of Goldman Sachs, the um, the head of Goldman Sachs International, the head of the HBM, HSBC Bank that was caught for money laundering and drug laundering, he's gonna be. He got fired over it, but he's gonna be there. And then Timothy Geithner's gonna be there, and they're all just gonna sit around and dude, they're just gonna say, how can we, how can we improve the American dollar? How can we, how can we get? Unemployment in America down to eight percent, as opposed to you know the lying at nine point whatever percent that they tell us it is. Yeah. Don't you? I mean, don't you see that's what they're trying to do for you, Robert? They love you. Yeah, I, I adore them. I've asked them if I could join them all the time. You know. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> they won't listen to us. I don't think we meet the. Uh, I don't think we meet the snobby requirements. But here, I got a I got an article for you. I want you to comment on here, and I'll read you a little bit of it. And I won't torture the audience with my terrible reading. Sorry, guys, I'm part dyslexic, so if I butcher words and stuff like that, just kind of roll with it. I'm trying to roll with it here. So this is from the um, Business Insider, and you and I can go off on a gigantic tangent for this one. Um, prescription drugs now kill more people in the U.S. than heroin and cocaine combined. 
Wow. So prescription opiate painkillers are responsible for more fatal overdoses in the United States than heroin and cocaine combined, according to a new study out of Brandeis University. But you know what? I thought that we couldn't we couldn't legalize heroin and cocaine because they were too dangerous. Isn't that what? Well, it, it, yeah. Well, you know they they've changed it. It's it's <laughs> you know oh, they cook it. It's a different preparation. Oh, that's what so, it is. Oh, so that's okay. what it is. Yeah, you're not just making huge. You know, huge buku of profits on the opiates from Big Pharma. That's not the reason. That's not the no. reason. These no, no, no. They have your best interests at heart. As, dude, I'm telling you, I am getting nothing but government hugs all show long. This is just government. One, it, it's, it's all it is. It's just one big government hug. I mean, a guy, uh, in a, a guy in a black uniform with you know with a badge, and he's just giving you a big hug, and then he's probably going to stab a knife in your back and then take you I am so stealing that government hug. Can't. It is copyrighted. It's already been oh. on the podcast. It's done. It's over. If I hear you say it on your podcast, I'm going to get really mad. All right. So anyway, oh, um, I I can't. I don't have any money. Opiate painkillers <laughs> include prescription narcotics such as Vicodin, Oxycontin, and hey, ask Rush Limbaugh about Oxycontin. He loves that stuff. And methadone. Yay. The epidemic of prescription drug abuse is vasting America is – wait, is this – Vacillating American families and draining the state in federal time, money, and manpower, says Hall Rogers, chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, said to them in a press release. The authors recommended the prescription drug monitoring programs shift from a reactive to a proactive approach. No, dude, they're making – no, the lobbyists are putting too much money in their pockets. You guys just think that the government's not corrupt. I love it. By actions such as collecting prescription. Prescribing data and all controlled substances, sending alerts about possible abuse to physicians and pharmacists, as if the surveillance state wasn't big enough. Physicians and pharmacists analyzing a trend of data to help law enforcement agencies identify pill mills and illicit distribution of prescription painkillers. Below is a presentation of the Pew Health Group that did the study and lays out the problem. And looks like that your state down in Florida, you guys are about maxed out. You guys are you guys are doping it up down there. Good for you guys. Probably Honestly, probably all the old people that think that they're perfectly safe, but they would they would never touch marijuana. No, no honestly, down here, um, and I can talk about this from personal experience. It is young kids, um, anywhere yeah, between that's the what ages of to right. Yeah, from the ages of like. 20 to 27, and I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you can almost point them out walking down the street. Oh, pillhead, pillhead, pillhead. That's you really bad. I mean, what, what do we do about this? I mean, we. I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast a lot. He he and I align a lot when, when you're talking about how that I think that everybody needs to go through a, a, a psychedelic. Hello? I think I lost you. No, I'm I'm still here. You might have you might have dropped on your side. Oh, sorry. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you've been there the whole time. So, sorry guys. Welcome to live radio. All right. So you know, but he he talks about this a lot, and I agree with him to a, to a very large degree. And it's and it's basically just expanding your conscious. And what we do have here in in America is is this weird fascination with trying to keep everything in in sober land. And I mean that kind of passe tongue in cheek because you have drugs that that government deems is okay 
like alcohol and tobacco, which both of those kill more people than than probably heroin and cocaine and everything else combined. But those are deemed okay, and then that's the box that you're supposed to play in. You can't alter your consciousness any more than those two. You can't. You can't have, you know, something like um something like ayahuasca that's, you know, tree bark. You can't have that. These are things that would give you a different type of experience. And when I say an experience, it's kind of like <clears throat> I, I relate it to the first time that you ever smoke pot. The first time that you ever smoke pot, you wonder why in the hell it's illegal, number one. And number two, what was the big deal and why did everybody get so bent out of shape about this? Because it's really not that big of a deal once you've done it. But it's just the stigma that goes with it. It's the stigma. And so what scares me is that we have a stigma for all of these naturally produced um, psychedelics. You have mushrooms, which are naturally produced. Once again, ayahuasca is naturally produced. You know, all these different things that are naturally produced. But then you have synthetic heroin, a.k.a. these opiates. You have these opiates that are synthetic. And they're completely okay. Now, do you think that if we could somehow decriminalize all of these drugs, and I and I know that that's a big blanketed term, do you think that decriminalization is the answer, or do you think that overall legalization of everything is the answer? I want to get your take on this. It's kind of a philosophical question, but hmm. I want to know what you think. All right. Well, the the philosophist in me. Uh, the philosopher, I mean, would um, would have to say you'd have to de- decriminalize all of it, um, because if you are robbing, stealing, or hurting other pe- people, does it really matter what you were intoxicated on at the time? So um, that's the that's you know for those of you that don't follow or that you are just getting new to the liberty movement, that's the non-aggression principle, correct? Correct. You know, um, you, you know, long as they're not stealing or hurting someone else, what does it really matter? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are parts of me who are all like, well, that you uh, you know that we do status anonymous, how everybody struggles with their statism. And mine mm-hmm. would be uh, mm-hmm. that there, there's parts of me that doesn't want to see things like heroin or or cocaine uh, legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, what's it what's it really hurt? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I understand how I can destroy someone's life. So the 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 empathic side of me really wants to try and help but are we helping by making it illegal or can Mm -hmm. we help by just cultivating good decisions inside culture well and see that's the that's the big drawback and a lot of people believe that that believe that if you decriminalize everything that the society goes to crap and i've heard people say well i've been at amsterdam and they're just i'm like dude those are probably people that came there and got strung out and then just stayed there and and most of the time in cultures that have decriminalization, people that are drug addicts are looked down upon in society. It's not like, you know, it's not like you got the CEO that it's going and doing blow. That's kind of looked down upon. It's, you know, it. But that's what you have now. I mean, you have you have people that, and believe me, man, my brother and sister, my brother's still in Hollywood. My sister was in Hollywood for a long time. They've told me stories that will make your head spin. And these are people that are doing, you know, hardcore drugs, like, you know, very extremely high up people doing hardcore drugs in the middle of the afternoon like it's nothing. And and that doesn't change the fact that that those people eventually 
if they drop to the bottom because of their addiction, need to be treated and not arrested and thrown in, in jail. They need to be treated and try to be rehabilitated and injected back into society. But you're right. And honestly, you, and mm-hmm. honestly uh, one of my biggest problems is that it has to be uh, uh, somewhat voluntary because if you just force addicts into rehabs, that ain't, mm-hmm. that's not going to fix anything either. Well, no, they tried that over in um, – I watched this incredible documentary. You should check it out. It's on uh, – I'll send it to you. It's by Vice, and they went over to, um, they went over to Greece, and there's this new drug out there. It's like, a, it's like a, um, a form of meth. They don't even know what the hell it is, but it's called Salvi, and what it is is um, it's really, really cheap, but it gets these people really, really messed up. And since Greece is hurting so bad, a lot of the people are turning to this drug to just kind of escape reality. And then what happens is the cops will come and they'll scoop all the people up because just a show of good faith that they're cleaning up the city. You know, we're going to clean the city up. And they pick these guys up and they haul them off to jail and they cost the taxpayers thousands of dollars. And then they come back and then they just dump them off in the streets. So it doesn't really change anything. So, I I mean, it doesn't change anything. It's just the perception that, you know, the people in costumes are doing something to better society. And it's like you said, you can't really force them to do it. So how do you how do you go into it then? Do you have like do you have to like you said, it has to be voluntary, like people that go into rehab now, like out in uh, California, where you see all these, you know, people putting themselves into rehab. Is that what we're going to have to go to and just make it like a voluntary a voluntary thing, and do you penalize these people for missing work for getting help with their drug addiction? That's my next question. Well, so if you have like a, function, I would have if to, you have a functioning of, alcoholic, and then he's like, "Well, I need to go and, and get sobered up," or a functioning coke addict, they could probably go out and and r- blow it out if he's like a computer programmer or something like that. But you know, you go ahead and and send him to rehab. Do you compensate him for work? Is his job still there when you get back? That's what I would like to know. I, I, that would have to be worked out between him and his uh, his like in, in their in their contract or whatever. Yeah, I guess that would have to be if uh, you know that could be used as sick days or vacation mm-hmm. time. He would really have to work that out because it's not our responsibility to work those things out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's functional, then yeah, he should have some sick days or something like that. And if he didn't work that out, it's not we shouldn't have to force the company to pay or hold his job. Just mm-hmm. because he's fixing something he shouldn't have been doing in the first place, sure. you know. Sure. But that's neither here nor there. So I think that if anything, if we had a more voluntaristic society, you would see him be able to go to his job and say, "Hey, you know, I've done this for you. This is what I bring to the table. I just need a few weeks off to go get, you know, some personal things together." Mm-hmm. I, he doesn't even have to tell him what it is. I'm pretty sure. sure in, in a more voluntaristic society, you would see that happen more often than not. Yeah, I think so too. So, you know, let's uh, let's change gears a little bit, and um, I've got to, I got something I want to close with you with. But what do you what are your thoughts on what's going on over in Turkey? Have you been following those uh, demonstrations that they've got going on over there, and the and the uh, and the cops, what the cops are saying and what they're doing? Basically, they're protesting a um, an authoritarian government. And every time I read an article, and I made a um, I made a um, a comment about this on the podcast yesterday. Is that um, every time you see a article written about Turkey, it's always it's an anti-government protest. How come it can't be a a pro-freedom protest? You know, it's always an anti-government. So, have you been following this Turkey thing at all? Uh, to a certain extent, I've been you know looking at the pictures and stuff. I haven't really read into the cause. 
mm-hmm. or uh, or the reasons for their revolt. But yeah, you're right. I've seen the words counter. What do they say? Uh, counter revolutionists mm-hmm. is one of the ones that I uh, names I've seen them call these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I find the pictures absolutely awe inspiring and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact that they even got I was uh, watching this one thread about it. And they even got reinforcements at one point mm-hmm. to come and help them with the riot police. So I mean, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They had to go across this bridge, and I guess the cops tried to cut them off, and it didn't work. But still, it was it, uh, that made me, and it makes me wonder where, why aren't we? Why can't we do that? Because you know what too, I mean? we're we're too messed up on fluoride and television, man. I mean, <laughs> and that's and that's the sick reality of it is that they're. And my friend Andrew was on the show last night, and we were talking about it. It's just, you know, there's too many distractions out there. And yeah. and The Matrix is too – I mean, The Matrix is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, man. Video games are a lot of fun. Watching trashy television is a lot of fun. Those types of things are a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, we have to sit back and look, you know, it, it, are, are we doing what's the most thing constructive with our time currently? Because our our nation is right now we're kind of wobbling, I think, and you see you see all these things you see cracks in the veneer of the establishment, you see cracks in the in the in the all hollowed you know position of the uh, attorney general and the all hollowed position of the president, and I think that we're starting to see the cracks that might really lead to something here in America, but we have to we have to like start forcing the cracks to turn into splits. And then once we get some splits, then we'll be actually be able to do something. But what do you what do you think it is? Do you think that it's just Americans are too complacent and that uh, it's the old uh, apathy um deal here in America? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I kind of covered this in a uh episode I did, I believe it was Friday. Mm-hmm. Um and I was talking about the the founding of America from the Native Americans and how the Native Americans in the Iroquois nation Mm-hmm. Uh, had more what I believe to be the closest thing to a completely voluntary society that history no. has seen. No, that was true. No, no, no. I've I've um I've seen stuff on the History Channel about that. Yeah, you're you're spot on. Go ahead. Yeah, and uh and how a lot of our culture is actually taken from that. So um I start I went on this long rant and actually got I kind of got passionate and loud. Um uh, and I said that we can do better than the founding of America. This is four or five hundred years later. And we're back to where we started. We can do better than the Constitution. Am I saying we get rid of the Constitution? Absolutely not. We'd have to get back to it before we could ever think of trying that's to write my, something better. That's my argument wholeheartedly. For the people that want to just you know start anew and you know, oh, the Constitution doesn't matter. No, it does matter because that's it's like I it, I've said this before on my show. The founding fathers weren't. You know they weren't the best people in the world, but they understood freedom became because they came from the most tyrannical society the world's ever seen and the largest empire the world's ever seen up until today. Where, hello, the American Empire is now here. And if you guys don't believe you live in an empire, then best of luck to you. Enjoy your fluoride. But, All um, I gotta say is look up Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right, man. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Hey, I've got a I got a new clip here. I'm gonna have to start playing this. Um, as soon as I um I think I got it scrolled at the top here. Hold on a second. I've got to find this. This is gonna drive me crazy. But no, it's um I think that you're hundred percent correct. We have to go to we have to go to the Constitution first. The Constitution was the path for us to walk on. 
And, you know, around 1913, when we started getting into the Fed and the fractional reserve banking, it's like, all right, well, let's just see if we can go off the path a little bit. And then it's like we took um, around the 19, you know, around the 1940s and 1950s with the National Security Act and stuff like that. We just took a complete beeline to the left. Just yeah, whew. it was like the kill shot. Yeah, almost, that was it. You know, I mean, it's like we were in custody by the FBI and and we were supposed terrorists or something. Well, that's and, my whole argument. Is if how how is it we're going to do something better than the Constitution if we can't even get back to it first? You and, know, and, how do you expect to achieve something so much greater if you can't achieve mediocre? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I agree with you a hundred percent. And this is really aggravating me that I cannot find this clip right now. I'm about to go absolutely bonkers. Oh, here it is. So this is my new clip for every time that something absolutely cr- crazy happens. Of course, I've got the conspiracy theory clip, but here's my new one. It's no big deal. <laughs> and that's from Caddyshack. I'm sorry, i got to hear it one more time. It's no big deal. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what we're kind of at, man. And I think that you're 100% correct. If we can at least go back to the Constitution for as like a baseline, and then we can start working off of that, that's where we need to go, but... We have yeah, people that we have people that still like to do. They like the infighting. They they love it. They love political football. So how do we? Well, they love to we, be right. Oh that, man, do that's they their ever. problem. Is they just love to be right. Doesn't mm. doesn't matter. It, you know, it's that whole team mentality. And I think that does. Uh, like we were saying before, it goes back to that evolutionary stance. We were tribal. Um, mm. When we became distinctly human, we were very tribal. Sure. Um, and, and it so, was that other tribe, and then. People found out that they could use, you know, that tribe's going to come and kill our women and rape our women, so we got to go over there and kill their, you know, kill them and and rape their women and take their kids and and that kind of thing. It's always the fear of the other tribe, the fear of the unknown. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and, and that's exact. And we still have that, but now what we've done, we made it, we made it almost philosophical or ideological in nature, to where we're no longer going over and storming each other's walls, but mm-hmm. we're tearing down each other's ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, we, what we're seeing now is I'm Republican. I'm going to be Republican no matter what you say, and I mm-hmm. hate Democrat and, and vice versa. And mm-hmm. nobody at any point is going, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. What? We're not even getting anything done. What are we fighting against? Yeah, and, and a yeah. lot of people, and a lot of people on the, um, and I hate to say this, but uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out, lefties. It's like you guys are the ones that are always saying, why can't you guys just compromise? But heaven forbid, heaven forbid somebody compromise on a gun law. Heaven forbid you guys compromise on abortion. I mean, I'm giving you the real trigger notes here because, listen, the social engineers know that you're emotional about those things. They know that you can't have a logical conversation. And much like what Robert said, it's part and partial to the fact that you want to be right, but it's also part and partial to the fact that you don't want anybody to change your way of thinking because your id, the way that you perceive yourself, is tied to either a donkey or an elephant. And in, in my perspective, it's either I'm a Republican, I'm a you know I'm a donkey, you know uh, what is the Republican, the elephant? That makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. So the Republican, I'm an elephant. I do this. This is what I do. This is what I believe. And then if you come and and most of the time. They won't even have facts to back up what they say. They just emotionally connect by being part of a group. And I think that that's part and partial to the to the school system that we have and how it teaches groupthink. And, and not that there's anything bad with working in a group, 
but understanding that that kind of takes away from the individual also to for the individual to flex his muscles because I've had this happen to me before where you get in a group with a with a big alpha male or something like that with a with a type A personality and it doesn't matter if your idea is good or if or if somebody else's idea is good you're going to go with the alpha male's idea because that's what I oh, we need to do this it's always the yeah. stubborn alpha male and that's what you see a lot of these people as so how do we reach those people? I mean, do we do we get them to question their allegiance to the to the banner of the Republican Democrat? What do you think? Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this is just me. This is my own view. I don't, you know, you can take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. I think we don't bother with most of them and just let them die off, um, because you know we're the next generation is taking step up. So it's really the younger. Uh, from I'd say 35 and younger are the people we need to focus on mm-hmm. um, because the rest of them, I mean, they're not going to matter in the next 20 years. I agree um, with that also. I agree you with know, that. But, and, but, I mean, and so we shouldn't waste so much energy on them. We should just really be preparing the next generation for, one, taking over the powers that exist now and then tearing them down. So – do you believe that we're going to have a true uh, a restoration of the um I don't know why we got on the philosophical talk here but this is always fascinating to me. Do you think that we're going to have a restoration of the republic in the fact that we're going to have a restoration of the bill of rights constitution? I would assume that whether you're a democrat or a republican that we could all unite over something like that. I mean, do you think that that's going to happen or do you think that we're going to go until this empire is bled dry and then start seeing the decline of the empire from a financial standpoint and also from a militaristic standpoint. I tell you what scares the crap out of me every day is that I know how many planes and stuff that China's building, and I know what China's doing over there, and I know that they own a lot of our debt, and they're buying a lot of stuff over here. And I'm not saying that we're going to get invaded, but I say that we might be part of their – we might be a territory of theirs if our dollar doesn't make it. Yeah. Well, um, this is what I – and this is me thinking realistically. Uh, I would like to think that you know we would have a restoration of the republic before um, you know before its fall or uh, or before we change it and make it better, whatever you know mm-hmm. you may say would happen. But honestly, realistically, looking at history of all great empires, it is going to expand too far and fall. But what I see happening mm-hmm. is most of us being ready for it. And, and willing to react and recover what's left over quicker. So you believe in the, you believe it in in the in the remnant philosophy then. Yeah. Is that so there is going to be there's going to be a remnant left over from all the from all the but going I think the on. Remnant, the, I think mm-hmm. that because of our actions starting since well for me they started in 99 a lot of people started you know around 2008. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, uh I think that um it's going to be a whole lot bigger than a remnant, I think, because I'm thinking that once it happens, once the fall happens, whatever the catalyst is for that fall, all those who called us crazy, all those who wrote us off as conspiracy theorists, all those who thought it could never happen will come running to those of us who tried to warn them. Right, and then they'll just say, how do we fix it? Dude. Then we're going to tell them you have a piece of paper – you had a piece of paper that sat there for 200 years that that would have helped you out of all of this mess, uh, you know, along with a couple of other documents, you know, Bill of Rights, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. If you would have just 
at least taken some credence to those and not just say, well, yeah, we can spy on you without warrants, and yeah, we can collect all your data and put it in this huge database, and, and yeah, we can do whatever we want because you know we're above the law, and that's fine, and yeah, the Benghazi thing was over a um, a video that was uploaded in July. The, the attack didn't happen until September, but you know, don't worry about that. And now, what's her what's her nuts is actually going to get the uh, the nod for the um, for the job. I actually have to find that really quick. The um, um, Susan Rice that got up there and and straight up lied to the American public is now being promoted. So, you know, we are we are Yay. living in 1984 where it's. Just absolute, um, you know. You you lie to the public, and you just repeat the talking points and be a good little, you know, be a good little servant of the system, and you'll be rewarded. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Um, you know, because I got to go and get ready for my show. Oh, yeah. Um, do you think? But I, I wanted to um, leave it on this that we can. When I was saying uh, uh, on the my last show on Friday, is that we can do better than the Constitution. I think we can do better than an overreaching federal government. I think we can do better than allowing a faceless organization take money from us to kill brown people across the giant pond. We can do better than that. And if you don't think so, if you don't think we can do better, then why even have a government at all? Why don't we just allow the strongest you know the fittest to survive. Why don't we allow that kind of structure? The guy that can pick up the biggest rock is the leader, right? Yep. Why can't? Why? Why not allow that if we if we can't do better? Oh, I appreciate. Hey, thing, man. Hey, uh, plug your stuff really quick, and then I'll let you. I'll let you bounce. All right. Yeah, you can find us on Journalistic Revolution, uh, journalisticrevolution.com. You can also find us on YouTube and Facebook by the same name. And then, of course, you can always listen to us on Liberty Movement Radio. Absolutely, man. What are you guys on in Liberty Movement? Like, uh, what, 15 minutes? Yep, 16 minutes. We'll be on. All right, rock on, man. I'll be listening. You guys take care. All right, man. See ya. You have a good night. There he goes. Yeah, fellow thought criminal. So, you know, I do have a couple of other things to get here, to get to here, but I always like having that kind of discussion because that's the kind of discussion that, that we all should be having. Because looking at the way that things are now, I mean, it's it's not going to get any better unless we start having conversations like that. If anything, it's going to get it's going to get a little bit worse because you don't have you don't have informed, knowledgeable people out there making decisions. You have people that are going by what they're told by the magic box to do, and that's where it's getting very very scary. So. I do want to cover this last article, and then I'm going to wrap up the podcast. And this is by McClatchy. And this was um, this was posted today, and it says pot comes to Capitol Hill as U.S. marijuana movement blooms. Now it says uh, in Washington, as she prepares to open the Metropolitan Wellness Center above a Popeye's chicken restaurant a few blocks from the U.S. Capitol, General Manager Vanessa West isn't worried about her medical marijuana shop being raided. West knows that she'll be selling the drug that is illegal under federal law, even though in the District of Columbia Council has approved the sale for medical use. She accepts, expects the city to have a tight-run system. And she says, in quote, I was explaining to a toddler a few weeks ago, it's like if you're in grade school and they say it's okay to chew gum inside the classroom, but it's not in the hallway. And West says, oh, okay, that, it just makes no sense. So, operating in the shadow of Congress, the center is expected to open later this month and will mark one of the boldest moves yet by a nation of marijuana movement that is in full bloom this spring. 
It will be one of the three that is expected to open soon in the district. In Illinois, legislators just passed laws legalizing medical marijuana, though it is yet to be signed by the governor. In New Hampshire, House of Representatives and Senate have approved medical marijuana bills sending the issue to the conference committee. In Vermont, lawmakers voted to decriminalize marijuana, and the governor plans to sign the measure on Thursday. In Colorado, the governor made history last week by signing bills that make his first state the, the state the first to create a system to tax and regulate for recreational use. Mar- medical marijuana is now legal in 18 states, along with the District of Columbia. Two, Washington and Colorado State, have signed off on plans to allow it for recreational sales. Critics fear that more will follow. Medical marijuana has been a Trojan horse, really, for decriminalization and legalization. It's a slippery slope towards legalization, said Patrick Kennedy, a former congressman who's chairman of the Project SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, a national group that opposes legalization. Kennedy said that he regretted ever supporting medical marijuana and that he feared it would lead to more drug abuse among children. I mean, what do you want them to do, man? It's either it's either they're going to smoke a joint or they're going to go out and pop a bunch of kills and kill themselves. I mean, what would you rather choose? Now you have to start thinking the lesser of two evils here. All right, so that was my that was my little two cents. So it continues. More kids smoke marijuana than tobacco, he said, and that's pre- and the prescription is well, it's medical, it must be fine. And what you end up doing is sending a very dangerous message. Well, you do the same thing with opiates, you. These people are just so ridiculous. Opponents of medical marijuana hope to ramp up the anti-legalization message, saying that it will be needed for better job for research for reaching state legislatures. It is a reflection of the one-sidedness that you're hearing on this, said Ken Sabat, the assistant professor and director of Drug Policy Institute at the University of Florida, who teamed up with Kennedy to create the SAM project. Sabat said the discrepancy on Capitol Hill was making itself the target for legal action. But he predicted that Obama administration will take a, a, a wait-and-see attitude to assess whether the dispensary fizzes out or begins to grow. And if it begins growing, they are going to raid them just like they did out in Colorado. Remember, this administration never tells you the truth. So just go ahead and run with it. If they tell, if, if Obama tomorrow said that he would never, ever attack... A U.S. citizen on American soil, you guys better duck and cover. If they were more brazen, I can't imagine they wouldn't get any action against them. Stuart Taylor, who studied the conflict between state and federal marijuana laws as a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a Democratic-leaning research center in Washington, allowed to the dis- allowing said that allowing the dispensary would be totally inconsistent with federal law. Remember, uh, I thought, never mind. Can't go back to the Constitution. Once again, this is the whole argument here. Does the federal government have the chance to police the states? And originally it didn't, but now we think that the federal government is God. So, I mean, here we go. And it seems as though the administration wants to pretend that nothing is happening. In one way, pretend that nothing is happening to have marijuana being sold right under their noses in the middle of D.C. and not do anything about it. Dude, I think that they're a little bit more worried about saving their own asses at this point than they're worried about a couple of guys getting a hold of some joints. 
Alan St. Pierre, the executive director of the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws, a pro-legalization group in, Mar in Washington, said allowing the center to operate so close to the Capitol is, is with some irony. But he said the dispensary will probably be fine as long as it complied with the conditions set forth by the District of Columbia's Health Department. And the Justice Department declined to comment. Remember, they're trying to cover their own asses right now. It's like, what? Weed? No, no, no. We got scandals, man. We can't. No, can't comment on weed. Yeah, go smoke it. Whatever. <clears throat> West, who once worked at the San Diego dispensary, said she didn't understand the fuss. It's odd to me, you know. I feel like it's not an issue. She said, and she said that anyone who lived in California or Colorado knew that marijuana was just not that big of a deal. Duh. Like I said earlier on the show. So we're a little bit behind the times, which is ironic because D.C. passed this law back in 1998. While D.C. residents did not pass medical marijuana intently nearly in, in initially nearly 15 years ago, Congress intervened and delayed the start date until 2012 or 2010. That's pretty interesting. With three dispensaries set to open in the District of Columbia, West said the city would run a tightly controlled system unlike California, where loser rules have resulted in hundreds of raids. She said that another important distinction, only D.C. residents who have, recommended, have, who have recommendations from currently licensed doctors may buy marijuana, while California doctors allow no longer or practice and practicing to recommend to make recommendations, she said it made the system much harder to control, which is also true. The, dis the district's other two dispensaries will be a in the Tokahama or Tomaka neighborhood adjacent to Tomaka Park in Maryland and on North Capitol Street, another location not too far from the U.S. Capitol. Nothing has, nothing his administration's aggressive stance, nodding, noting his administration's aggressive stance since medical marijuana in California, West called President Barack Obama the worst marijuana president in the history of the country. She said Obama now had more important things to deal with than marijuana issues. You dang right he does. In a state where it is legal where it's legal medically and and the program is done right, the feds don't need to intervene. She's exactly right right there. West said that she wouldn't know exactly when the center would open until she got the green light from the city and once all her paperwork was in order. The walls have fresh gray paint on them. The display jars are lined up in glass cases, and they're still empty as she awaits the first delivery of cannabis from the state's licensed cultivators. She is eager for her first customers, and we need to touch, we need to teach them how to pick up the best strain and how to pick the best way to ingest it. She said, do you want to smoke it? Do you want to eat it? Do you want to roll a joint? Do you want to vaporize it? Or are you going to just put it on your skin? The, city, the center will sell many different strands of marijuana, along with edibles, concentrates, dried cannabis, and pot-laced drinks. Customers will be able to find paraphernalia as well. Anything that you see at the herb shop, you can sell. She said, We can sell, she said. So... Wrapping up here, for those of you that that don't understand the benefits of medical marijuana, it is one of the best things to treat people that have a tough time eating when they're on cancer, one of the best things to treat, um, obviously, glaucoma, 
um, paranoia, a lot of different, um, a lot of different um, mental instability issues, also, which is kind of interesting because it is altering your state of consciousness, and that's something that we need to all look at together as a collective and say, is this the problem? Is medical marijuana the problem? Is marijuana the problem in general? Or are other harder drugs the problem of our nation? And I believe, me personally, I believe that medical marijuana should be completely legal because it helps people. Remember, I'm a people person. So I believe that if you go out and you get um, a, a butt off a plant and you ingest it and it makes you feel better and you have an illness, that I believe that that plant should be completely legal. Because it is actually making you feel better, especially since it was it was medicine for so long, up to 3,000 years ago. So I don't believe that marijuana is going to be an issue. I don't believe it's going to be a big issue after the next couple of years. I think that it will just die out. Now, you will have some diehards that believe that medical marijuana or marijuana in general is going to be the devil, but you're never going to be able to change those people. And those people will still go to football on Sundays, and they'll drink their six-pack, which destroys their liver, and they'll die much, much sooner than somebody that ever smoked cannabis. But that being said, I think that what we should look at here as a nation is why are we creating laws on top of laws and then creating people in black uniforms to go enforce those laws? Are we really a bunch of children and we really need a bunch of hall monitors out there? Or are we grown adults that can police ourselves and find out what is right for us to put in our own bodies and live the life that we were intended to live here on this planet, and that is as free, independent, free-thinking human beings? That's it for the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Remember to check me out on Twitter. Follow me at We Are Not Cattle, the number one. You can also find me on the website, wearenotcattle.net. And you will also be able to check out the first visual podcast that should be uploaded to the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV, in the next couple of days. Once again, everybody, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Thanks for listening. And love, liberty, and freedom, everyone. Take care. In your heart.